0: Hold your nose and close your eyes. It's the Wasp Factory.
1: Given the way that he's acted up to now, this is almost a supervillain origin story at this point. Football are going to kick balls. British weather going to rain on you. Mad psychopathic Scottish teenager going to tie birds together
0: until they peck each other's brains out. It was dark already. Um, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. Um, it's about to get even darker.
1: It's, it's like if, if Roald Dahl just took a load of PCP one day and decided to dial the darkness up to 11, isn't it? Poison jam.
0: Hold your nose and close your eyes. It's part three of Shark the World's rethrough of The Wasp Factory by Ian Banks. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. That was fucking glorious.
1: Well done. Well done indeed.
0: Are you ready for this?
1: Well, I... I am now, actually. I was coming into this with a slight sense of trepidation, but now you've thrown thrown that absolute widow-maker across the plate. I'm ready for anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was dark already. Uh, let's not let's not beat around the bush, because we've seen three child murders in this book. Um, it's about to get even darker. Um, I mean, if that's your bag, then you you may be loving this. Um, yeah. I mean, if not. You maybe I'm not sure why you're still listening. Maybe you hate listening, um, just to, just to, just to hear just how bad it gets. But um, crikey!
1: I actually I uh, I had a conversation the other day with um, uh, with actually I should give a shout out here to my mate Charlie who uh, who recommended this book to me as something we should do on the podcast. Yeah. And um, as it happened, like I didn't see him for a couple of weeks until we'd already done the first two episodes. So I saw him last weekend, and I was like, oh hey, we're doing the Wasp Factory. And he was like, Oh yeah, which bit are you up to? I was like the last bit he was like, Yeah. <laughs> yep. <yeah." laughs> like like it wasn't until that moment that I realised that he was trolling me a little bit and saying that we should do this on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But cheers, Charlie. Thanks, mate. I had a great time doing it, so I hope you're enjoying it.
0: Yeah, it's been an experience, hasn't it? So <laughs> l- l- let's let's get this let's get this third part of it in the can then.
1: I mean, yeah,
0: you might get the impression from what you've heard in these first couple of minutes that we're not massively enjoying this. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the end and then maybe come to a decision. Um, absolutely, it, absolutely.
1: It, if if
0: you're listening to us for the first time, I'm not quite sure why you're jumping in a part three, but welcome. Um, so <laughs> what we do is we take a book like The Wasp Factory, break it down into parts, and then sort of do you a bit of a guide through through it. We hold your hand and and guide you through it, which which probably is is a welcome. Um, uh, welcome help uh, when it comes to this book. So uh,
1: Yeah, it's not so much hand-holding in this one, is it? It's just like like clammy, palmed, grasping, yeah. not letting go, like like a two-year-old who's just heard a ghost.
0: Yeah. That's our ca-
1: approach to this book.
0: Yeah, sort of an arm around the shoulder telling you it's, everything's going to be all it's, right. <laughs> everything
1: is going to be all right in the end. Yeah.
0: So, Chapter 7, Space Invaders. Uh, we start off with... Um, Frank's uh, got a couple of birds, he ties them together so they sort of peck themselves to death. This is something he likes to do. <laughs> for, a, a bit of a laugh. T- ties two birds could, you together. Could not
1: have <laughs> encountered that with a more bored tone in your voice. because so, that's where we are now. The spectacle of somebody tying two living beings together so they kill each other is just like, oh yeah, I would imagine he does. You know, kind of, <laughs> you know, foot, football are gonna kick balls. British weather gonna rain on you mad psychopathic Scottish teenager gonna tie birds together until they peck each other's brains out just yeah whatevs
0: yeah yeah he, he does this on the way over to see um, his friend Jamie the dwarf again and he sort of he uses this as a, as a chance to sort of think about am I crazy and thinks well yeah maybe I am a bit maybe we're all <laughs> a bit <laughs> yeah but he always does that doesn't he he's always like am I
1: crazy yeah
0: but aren't we all no Frank no <laughs> not like this we're not no yeah. he, has a, he has a chat with Jamie where they talk about you know how um, people get on and are successful and survive and stuff and they decide that the nastiest people survive and um, Frank thinks wonders whether that human, humanity is a, a plague really and be better for everybody if we're all wiped his uh, Everybody, if, if we all wiped each other out it's very sort of nihilistic look of the world oh, surprise geez, surprise yeah. um, well
1: and given the way that he's acted up to now this is almost a supervillain origin story at this point isn't it It's like, yeah. so I spent my childhood <laughs> tying birds together and pissing on stoat fur and blowing up <laughs> rabbits and killing children and then I had a conversation with my mate Frank where I decided that we should all burn
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it's, I'm always crash little... cut to credits Do you know what I mean yeah but,
0: I'm always a little worried for Jamie whenever whenever he turns up because you always feel that um, if Frank sort of on a whim decided that he had to go and he probably could decide that at any moment then for old Jamie yeah. um, he's my best friend, niceness he'd, he'd just get killed
1: yeah, and he, yeah because Frank could decide that he represents something like the essential femininity of the universe, or I don't like the way his hair looks like that. It reminds me of something that happened once when I was a small child in between the times I was killing other small children. He's yeah. got to go. He's got to go. He symbolises something, and that means he's got to go. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he doesn't. He just sort of it comes and goes. I, I do like that representation. It does manage to get across... Um, Ian Banks, like the into the mind of like a this kind of guy who can just kill on a whim. I do feel that that's yeah. quite well sketched. Um,
1: yeah, I, I would agree with that. Actually, I think he's like given that he's decided to have such a preposterous character, he, he's not one. He's not one note preposterous. He's like all of the dials are turned up to eleven, but that does just mean that all of the colours are like like come through in extreme nightmarish vividness it's definitely not flat at all and I was also I'm I'm just thinking about how weird it is that this character is in this Jamie is in this book because hmm. everybody else in this book is in some sense uh you know a grotesque with all the colors turned up to 11 and it's hmm. just so weird and then here's this guy who's just sort of like all right, mate, Should we? there's a gig at the pub. Shall we have a couple of pints in and just hang out a little bit? Yeah, yeah, nice. It's yeah. it's cool. Like, I almost want there to be more characters like that in fiction engaging psychopaths. You know what I mean? Like, like mm. more stories. Like Imagine American Psycho if Patrick Bateman just had a friend who was somehow completely oblivious to what he was doing and mm. was just like, hello, mate, you all right, are you? Shall we go... Couple of couple of games of bowling, yeah. Have a pint, yeah, yeah. No, it's all normal, isn't it? Everything's normal, and you're normal, and I'm normal. Like yeah. I just, I really love that idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I thought I did think that there was a bit of a wasted potential here, though, because I thought always, what, what's going to happen with Jamie? Is, you know, what's gonna, is he going to yeah. find out? What's he going to do with this character? And it sounds like nothing. He just sort of disappears, just sort of yeah, fades away. Right.
1: Well, and also, um, well, I mean, if we're going to talk about great missed opportunities of the back end of this novel, Matt, well, we, we will come to it, but I, I preview, spoiler alert, it did not amuse. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, so uh, later on, uh, Frank goes and catches a wasp. Builds himself a a really complex dam again. And in the meantime, his dad's painting. Because apparently, the house used to have this massive sort of like mural sort of painting on it. Because his dad was really into like big hippie art uh, back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a weird addition. (laughs)
1: That's great. Have you ever been to um, San Francisco?
0: To Hippieville, hey
1: Ashbury in in San Francisco. I just imagined that, but just like a chunk. Of this extremely urban environment, somehow relocated to this tiny Scottish islet that's floating on a <laughs> sea of munitions, and then somebody just painting like beautiful stylised hibiscus and a you know guy with a massive spliff on the go in the in the mural. Just <laughs> it's such a it's such a weird place to go as a hippie, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and we're also getting a bit we're getting teased for the wasp factory as well. He goes up and has a look at it. Um, earlier in the chapter, um, we, we understand it's some big contraption, but we don't know what it is. And then later, he says that the factory uh, is death incarnate, and that answers his questions. <laughs> death um, incarnate. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Bloody.
1: So... I mean, how do you even... Well, do uh, you know what? Again, we're going to get to the description of the factory, and then I'm going to have a certain number of questions as to in what sense it is death in cuz he's, he's overselling here. I mean, he's 16, and that's fair, but I, I think he is overselling at this point.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea for him to say, you know, the answer, like, death is the final answer to everything, so using death to answer questions makes sense. Um, it's quite... I suppose I, I, I quite like I quite like that idea. I find that quite interesting in a weird sort of classic horror book kind of way. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, chapter eight, the Wasp Factory. Um, we finally get to see what it is, and I'm interested in your thoughts, Dave. It's this huge clock. Yeah. Um, decorated with uh, a snake skull and some bomb fragments and kai fragments. Basically bits and pieces from all the people he's killed, like little mementos from those, from his murders. Um, but before he starts using the factory, he does these, uh, what he calls catechisms, which are like basically confessions about what he's done. Yeah. Um, and then he he uses the factory. This is basically what happens. So you stick a wasp, Inside it, it's basically this sort of big clock. Oh, I'm I'm do my best to explain this.
1: Big- I believe in you, Matt. You can do it.
0: <laughs> there's a big clock lying on its on its ba- on its its front, on its back. Oh, that's a good start, isn't it? A big clock lying on its back, <laughs> covered, I assume, in some kind of glass. Um, and in, at each hour, num- like each number of the 12 around the clock, there's a little door. And basically you wait for the wasp to go through one of the doors... And normally, that so this other door closes behind it, and then it's basically choose one of your twelve forms of death. So the uh, the options are the spiders, par- the automatic rooms where where Frank doesn't have to do anything; he just watches the wasp die. Uh, the spiders' parlor, the Venus cave, the antery, the acid pits, and the ice chamber, um, <laughs> and the ones the, the manual ones where he's got to do something, the boiling pool. The air gun, the fiery lake, the gents, which is basically where he pees on it so he dies, the vault room, <laughs> the dead weights, the, the blade corridor, and there's a few extra ones that he sometimes has. The poison jam, um, something to do with the to do with The, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the poison, jam.
1: The poison it's like, jam. It's it's like if if Roald Dahl just took a load of PCP one day and decided to dial the darkness up to eleven, isn't it? Poison jam,
0: yeah. Something to do with a pin where he skewers it, um, mm. and uh, molten wax. I don't think it's molten, but it's it's wax. <laughs> uh, and death by fire is always number twelve. Um, so, Naturally. So okay, this is an idea. I mean, I mean, I suppose I'll say. I, I, I thought it's a. It's so weird. And it's, it's quite <laughs> cool to have just realised this really weird thing. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I well, I would agree with that very much first of all because um how nuts is it that this is so cinematic but it's in a book you know what I mean this is the kind of thing that you would like you would film and it would be clear but it takes a writer of real skill to be able to describe how it works using prose and he does that very very well um although it did sort of make me wonder like how did he get away with making this? Because he describes it, doesn't he, as like it's cast iron thing and it's clearly, you know, fucking enormous. Hmm. And he's got all these extra little chambers where he can watch wasps die. One bit where he can piss on them and another bit where he can set them on fire and another bit where he can give them poison condiments. <laughs> <laughs> and... um and, like, so he must have had to drill holes in this thing and, like, do do some proper construction work, right? Yeah. And so we know that his dad can't get up the stairs into the loft. So, fair enough, like, he knows he's going to have a little bit of privacy up there. But for how long, Would <laughs> would you say? You know, just like, because he's got to be using, like, heavy duty equipment at this point. You know, sort of like, (laughs) Frank, what are you doing up there? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Have you seen my poison jam and my acid bath? (laughs) No, Dad, I haven't seen a thing. And also, also, in this place where there's so many explosives, how does he not have a little pound full of gunpowder or something? Yeah.
0: Missed opportunity. I,
1: missed opportunity, indeed. But the other thing that I thought was dead interesting about the Wasp Factory is, like you say, these catechisms that he goes through before he gets started on it. Because um, they
0: are... Sorry. Confessions? I'm just thinking about the idea of, uh, of him sitting watching it, and this little wasp wanders down a corridor and then... <laughs> <laughs> What's that?
1: Nothing, Dad, nothing. That'd be amazing. But it's just, it's the fact that, at that it's at that point that he, like, he embraces rationale and goes no that would be a bit too much definitely oh, yeah. not gonna have any explosions up here yeah. acid baths venus fly traps tropical plants by the way in an <laughs> uninsulated loft off the north of scotland seems likely frank well done um it's it is i mean it's powerfully odd and once again with ian banks he's doing this tightrope act between the completely preposterous and the somehow plausible and once again that comes down to the fact that he's such a good writer even at this stage in his career that he can make you he can bring you into what's going on even though what he's describing is a country mile beyond the even slightly believable you're still like oh alright massive cast iron clock it's designed for killing wasps uh, and somehow a BB gun's able to shoot a wasp down in there. That seems plausible to me. And a sixteen-year-old has conceived of this entire system uh, for reasons that are apparently unclear. Mm. And uh, yeah, cool. All right, nice. Yeah, let's uh, let's go with it. I like it. It's it's good. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I'm I'm in, Ian. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> um, but the um, the catechisms are really interesting to me because that seems to me a moment where it's kind of like plugged back into something that i find is far more recognizable like there's a lot of psychological stuff in this book about like how how crazy frank is which Mm. just seems to me to be a bit like i don't know i don't know how how real it can feel because it just feels at certain points like like transcribing out of a textbook of, of yeah. you know some, somebody who's mad does this but for some reason for me the fact that he's done all of these mad things and there is a moment where he acknowledges that they are that they make him vulnerable rather than only making him powerful that felt very true to me and I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting that brought a bit of light and shade to what was going on mm. rather than him being this completely amoral murderous psychopath because yeah. I was really struggling to connect with that do you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah I mean, I I thought in general this bit with the factory, it it, it was it, this is probably the for, for me the the strongest part of the book just because it's 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 sort of the core of like the weirdness of it that the strength of the book is how odd it is, and this is the weirdest part of it. And you, I, I could kind of see how this was the sort of the genesis of the book. He has this idea of a kid with a really weird like torture chamber for wasps, and then creates the book from that. I would have expected that's the way he did it because um, it feels like the real sort of core of the whole story um, even though it's just a just a, at its heart just a weird idea rather than anything yeah. more than anything else yeah um, yeah very much but yeah so he he puts this what the latest victim in this wasp goes straight into door 12 which is death by fire gets burned alive you know what i really hate wasps and like i, mean, I really really hate like, to, like when... That's fucking amazing <laughs> you were there going come on you well, bastard well this is i thought i thought i would be cuz you know whenever like a wasp shows up if i'm like in a, in a, having a party or sitting in the garden it it's just it's going to it's going to ruin the day or it's going to ruin the next 5 minutes while i'm wafting away trying to get rid of the bloody thing so i hate <laughs> i really hate wasps they really annoy yeah. me but even I, as as this poor little thing was getting like incinerated, I was like, "Not like this, though." <laughs> <laughs>
1: even even these purposeless bastards don't de- deserve a, a death with more meaning than as a weird kind of soothsaying device.
0: Yeah, using a clock. Yeah, Oh, oh it's grim. There's no need for that, <laughs> but yeah. um. Yeah, maybe that could have been the tagline the Wasp Factory there's no need for that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I would pitch somebody on a comic retelling of this book <laughs>
0: subtitled
1: there's no need for that <laughs> the Wasp Factory a parody <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just a, the, the blurb at the back is uh, character on a remote Scottish island there's a load of things that are absolutely uncalled for <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing that's, com- that's such an English response to this very Scottish book as well isn't it right, there's just no need for any of that no 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 no
0: <laughs> anyway so um, so he does that and he decides that the fact that the wasp has chosen death by fire like I think the previous one shows mm-hmm. that Eric is coming because you know Eric sets fire to stuff namely dogs um, yeah so he goes and has this holds this little seance thing in the bunker where he basically holds his hand over a candle and burns his own hand, and he feels like he's had a vision where he's seen Eric or he's actually been in eric's head um and the book's so strange that I don't know for, for a for a bit I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe think- we're in a reality where that could happen Maybe yeah. it's not um those are the options
1: (laughs) (laughs) the the many many other ways in which that could appear to occur but not actually occur yeah it's weird this reading this after game of thrones isn't it which has got a fair old streak of this sort of on you know self-damaging magic in it itself where you are kind of tipping over and you kind of expect him to look up and be like the red god says (laughs) Yeah. yeah um yeah but it's and i actually liked the scene that Comes a little bit later, where um, where he he tries to find out if he was right instead of because in many ways that he's just completely filled with his own mad sense of purpose, and then on this one he kind of wants to know whether like almost like almost as a scientist whether that was a whether that actually happened or not, Mm. and I wonder I wonder what would happen if he got a kind of coherent answer to that question. Mm. in instead of the answer which he receives, which uh well, we will see
0: yeah so so he gets his phone call from Eric later in the day, and this is where he says, you know oh did you you know did did you basically did you feel anything before when i'm i mean he basically had this vision, and Eric's like, uh no <laughs> uh, but because
1: Eric's mad, like he's able to be like frank at this point is able to be far more like Er uh, well maybe he did.
0: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> it's just so crazy that he, yeah. Didn't, didn't yeah,
1: he's, he he's not to be trusted, is he? Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No. Um so that uh, so, so ends uh so ends the Wasp Factory chapter, which moves on to chapter nine, what happened to Eric Hold on to your butts. Fucking
1: uh, hell matt. S- sorry i just i like so it's been a while since i read this book yeah i so i we read it in preparation for this sort of four or five days ago and so i've had four or five days to forget this chapter (laughs) and now here we are let me it took me a solid while to scrub this out of my mind as well this particular geez
0: yeah well it's it's time to it's time to relive it as we enter chapter (laughs) nine what happened to eric
1: yeah so so for the uh, shark matt for the shark
0: (laughs) It starts off just another normal morning He goes for, um, he goes for a, a few drinks with Jamie He's went to his house, has a few cans Comes back um, And he talks about how he doesn't want to He doesn't want to go away from the island Because of what happened to Eric Because Eric left the island And had a Difficult experience uh, Which sent him mad So Eric basically went to um, University Studying to be a doctor and um, it's, it seems that like he's given the impression here that Eric was actually quite normal until um, until he sort of until he has this experience. Um, but just bear in mind when we're talking about Eric being normal, this is the kid who made the flamethrower that um, that burnt down the rabbit <laughs> hutch. So yeah. mm, that's a caveat. Anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no a non-independent observer, I think, would be a good way of describing his opinion and his approach on this.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's describe this Eric experience. This is going to be a hard description. I even considered us just sort of skimming over this, but seeing as we're doing the rest of it, I think we should should describe it. So basically Eric's working on this this ward for deformed babies um, is how it's described. Um, And uh, there's this paralysed kid who's got a little sort of um, plate on its head and um, it's... uh, Eric's feeding it, and it's obviously basically it turns out he's dead, and um, there's all these flies basically in it, growing in its brain, <sighs> and Eric just goes just goes just found sort of screaming on the floor when he thought, when he discovers what's yeah. happened, um, and that's what that's what sort of pushes him over the edge. So, yeah. I mean, there you go. That the the sort of <laughs> it's kind of like. <laughs> he's done the wasp factory he's done the three child murders he's done the uh, massacre of the rabbits he's he's going to do a setting a dog on fire later it feels like this is the one where he's like right okay i'm really swinging for the fences Jeez. here how how disturbing can i get i mean if you i think you're trying if you're trying to write the most disturbing book you can yeah. Then, then this is the sort of I suppose this is what you write, isn't it? And yeah. you've got to you've got to give him you've got to give Ian Banks credit. I think for for really saying there really is no holds barred here. I'm swinging for the fences in trying to disgust as many people as possible.
1: Yep. Yeah, well. And uh, job done there, Ian. <laughs> job job done, mate. Well done indeed. If that was played for and got, I think would be it would be a reasonable summary. Yeah. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? And 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 I think the I think the thing that's most powerful about it for me is that I don't I think it is a fairly lazy story writing trope to have one event that sends somebody completely insane. Mm. I, I also think it's a fairly lazy storytelling trope to have this idea of insanity, you know, this idea of this point where you go and your mind's just gone and mm. there's no nuance to it and, and nothing like that because, you know, there is always such a thing as recovery and there's always such a thing as treatment. Mm. Um, I think insanity, to, I'm no expert, but it feels to me like a very Victorian concept that completely denies the possibility of recovery. So, so generally speaking, I'm like, nah, not into that. And I'm definitely not into the idea that one thing can happen that would send you over the edge like this but I'll tell you for what this scene almost made me believe that it could happen Mm. it was so well written again an an account of something so totally horrifying that takes you just inside Eric's head enough to understand where he's coming from in this and, and understand how it's really interesting that he's got these terrible migraines and that becomes part of like how his brain is unbalanced when this horrible shock occurs to it and and I that that felt very true to me actually having said all that stuff about one thing not knocking you over the edge I still think that's true but I can definitely see how your physical circumstance changes the way that you think and that if there's anything that's going to cause somebody to go completely crack is experiencing something like that when you're you know, the relationship between your body and your brain is already in this kind of state of extreme pain Mm. and extreme kind of anguish. So, fuck, fuck, it's a horrible chapter. Like, but what a tour de force of writing, honestly. Like, just Mm. incredibly powerful. Um, And, yeah, what did you make of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I I I I think this was the moment I kind of... Tapped out on the sort of engagement with the book. I thought, oh, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of, yeah. th- 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 this is what all it is, isn't it? It's just sort of how grotesque can I make something? How, how, no, how grotesque can I write? And I was like, and I thought, so I thought, oh, okay. And and from this point, I was yeah. sort of like, I think, I think, I, I didn't feel there was the um, sort of engaged I didn't feel engaged enough with the characters to to, to sort of. To, to sort of t- to sort of get through this and think oh right i wonder what i wonder how things go from here I just like oh, okay what else is yeah. going to happen that's grim um yeah and I, I think i i do think that yeah i remember the first time i read it that it was it did a good job of of horrifying me and i was like oh my god and, and thinking yeah that would be something that could possibly just make you go crazy especially if you yeah you're right the migraines thing is uh is a way that makes it even more plausible as well that this could actually yeah. someone who was suffering from those kind of dreadful migraines could could be could be just just sent over the edge with this um but i think it, it speaks a lot to how disengaged i was at this stage where the biggest thought with the sort of the way it was being written was i'm thinking i was thinking hang on a minute uh frank's remember frank's imagining this and it, but it's it's like yeah. written as if it's actually Eric experiencing it as in sort of he checks, he, he like, he looked twice or he, he did, it was, some of the way it was written was like, it was, this is written as if it's happening rather than Frank is remembering it oh, or Frank is thinking about how it might have been. But I think I was just, maybe that's me just sort of trying, trying myself into not sort of something little because the big yeah. thing that's going on is so, so grim. Yeah, um, no,
1: absolutely. I think yeah. that's an excellent point actually about like, how much, um, how much trust you have in an author and in where they're taking you is actually a really important part of writing a book well, mm-hmm. and I think it's easy for that to be kind of to be lost. Interestingly, for me, I didn't it di- he didn't lose me here because I didn't believe.
0: I couldn't see how there
1: would be more of it. And I also, but in, the, like, in terms of the story, like where it was going, I thought like, okay, so that explains this. And mm-hmm. the chapter's even, you'd called, you know, what happened to Eric? So mm-hmm. you're kind of like, okay, you needed to do this and fine. And we're going to move on past this because this is not what the rest of the book is about. But um, I've definitely had that with other books. And funnily enough, this is, this is the root of my kind of well-known antipathy to, uh, to horror fiction. Because I'm like, I'm not convinced at all you're going to take me to a place that it's going to be worth me going. So that's Mm. why I don't really read horror fiction or watch horror fiction. Because I'm like, kind of, I don't care. Like, I don't, I have no sense of trust whatsoever that where you're going to take me is going to be worthwhile. Mm. So it's interesting that you experienced that here, whereas I experienced in other places.
0: Mm, yeah yeah and maybe it's like i said i've read i've read another ian banks book i didn't enjoy that so it might just be i just don't really get on with the the style of writing and and, and the author here but um yeah i it's the overall for me we'll get to the end but the book felt like uh bad horror like it's it's just a series of disgusting things that happen linked together by a, a relatively thin plot with 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 characters that I I don't really I don't really sort of I don't really find that interesting. I just think oh they're just these sort of grotesque mannequins walking around, and it's sort of it's everything that I imagine horror to be when it's a bit shit. Sort of like it's 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 sort of weirdly compelling in like oh these really disgusting things, but yeah, it's kind it's kind of like the book version of something like Hostel, like a just a torture porn kind of thing. As and I don't yeah. find that particularly particularly Engaging. Interesting. No.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a, that is a good parallel to draw, I think, because for me, I'm dazzled by the quality of the writing of the prose. Mm. And that, for me, is what makes it interesting in the same way as I will watch films that I don't think are terribly, like, thematically or plot-wise are any good, but which are, like, shot in a beautiful way. I'll watch beautiful cinematography all day long. Yeah. And that's, it's dead interesting, that, actually, because I think I would broadly agree with that, but this particular case didn't push me off on that side it kind of i was still engaged mm. because of the quality of the writing because i'm sure is shit not engaged because of the plausibility of the plot <laughs> the appeal of the characters or my belief that everything's going to be alright in the end in this plot because it's clearly not
0: <laughs> okay well oh, so so he, he um so yeah eric uh, goes off the deep end after that he, go, he goes insane he he uh, ends up as a recluse on the island, starts setting fire to dogs, um, ends up getting arrested, and then ends <laughs> yeah. up in this secure hospital, and then, of course, breaks out, and then we're back up to sort of present day. Um, Frank's thinking I... about this, and so he's just on his way back, and um, yeah. sees a lot of sheep knocking about, and um, thinks about how much he hates them, and thinks, oh, but it's our fault, because we made him that way, in terms of sort of breeding and all that. Sorry, what were you saying?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the point about it's our fault because we made him that way because of breeding and that is a, is a point that is going to become pertinent as we approach <laughs> the end of this novel, of course. But um, I actually thought for all that the individual scene was a very powerful kind of evocation of that event. Um the long tail of it, I thought, was complete bollocks and actually fairly lazy. Just like, yep, so this horrible thing happened, which I've rendered in really, really precise detail. But then, of course, we all know once you've gone mad, you just go mad. So something, 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 burn dogs. Something, 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 slow decline. Something, 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 lunatic asylum. <laughs> End. And it was just like, ah uh, all right, okay. So you, what you're telling me is I shouldn't care anymore about this character or what happens as a result of this character. Like, It was interesting that he drew this powerfully three-dimensional scene and then... Squashed it all back out to make it a very flat character, and I have to say, his arrival on the island totally didn't grab me. As a result of that, because I was just like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So you're telling me he's a caricature, so I don't give two shits what he does.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, we we get to we get to running dog. So let's get to his arrival. We get to running dog. Um, so this is it starts. There's quite a, quite a few pages here where. Uh, Frank's just kind of waiting around. He's he's wandering around the island. It's a hot day. He goes to the dump. Not a lot's going on there because to the this bungalow, empty bungalow, nothing's going on there. It felt, it felt a bit like a couple of wasted pages, but I suppose it's it's to give you yeah. a sense of sort of anticipation and and uh, and just sort of waiting for Eric's arrival. I did, did quite yeah. the idea as well where he's thinking about how Eric went mad. It's probably because Eric had too much sort of woman in him. Because that's what he equates to weakness, Frank. Which, when we consider, uh, yeah. when we consider, you know, the, the twist at the end, um, obviously that's that's quite. There's funny. a twist.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Let's get there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I think he's wandering back from the bungalow, and there's this howl, and this black shape shoots out across the across the uh, field. He finds this. It turns out to be obviously a dog that's been set on fire. Um, it's in a really bad way, so he puts it out of its misery and buries it uh, and goes home. sort of says to his dad that he's put a fire out. His dad's like, yeah, okay. Uh, this they have a, Oh, over- it was
1: on a dog, dad. Sorry, did I not tell you that? Yeah, <laughs> he was a dog.
0: Yeah, apparently his dad likes hot food, but he, he makes his curry so hot that even he doesn't eat much of it which just shows he's, it's quite nice. This is a a sense of like foreboding and how in their own ways, both um, Frank and his dad are are feeling this sense of sort of something about to happen and this unease.
1: Yeah. And I think that sense of foreboding was really, really well done actually. Like Mm. I I really liked that. And I think it was, he's not at all surprised that Ian Banks good at doing that, but it was a really, for some reason it just, it was the second very evocative piece of writing in, in, ten, twenty pages or so where mm. I was just like, Oh, just it feels like a like a hot, muggy summer's day just waiting for something to break is what yeah. this felt like.
0: Yeah. There's another call in the evening from Eric. It's basically just more nonsense. Um he Frank accuses Eric of burning this dog and says, Look, stop doing it and and Eric's like, What are you on about? and, and Frank just pangs up. Um so uh, you know Progress there, Ferrari. Say recovery. He's not smashed up the phone yep. box. So, you know, hope, maybe. Still. Springs eternal in the Wasp Factory. It,
1: yeah, I was going to say, not in an Ian Banks novel, though, does it? <laughs> hope springs once and fairly flaccidly and then falls echoing into a bottomless abyss of despair. That's an Ian Banks novel.
0: <laughs> uh, so, it's chapter 11 uh, The Prodigal or Big Grand Finale. So, um,. It's Saturday morning, and uh, again we're still waiting. Um, he, uh, Frank, sort of does some maintenance to the factory, uh, visits his sacrifice poles, just generally sort of waiting around. Mrs. Clamp turns up again. Um, again, she's just sort of, just here comes Mrs. Clamp again. No one cares. It's to, weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. what is her role? I don't she's know. Boring normality is that it. Yeah.
1: Like, she's just her role seems to be to turn up, say things with weird italics twice a sentence. Yeah. And then be completely oblivious to the fact that she's been coming in and out of a horror movie. Yeah. Every what twice a week for the last twenty years. Yeah. It's so it,
0: odd. And she nearly got pushed into a freezer. And oh yeah, doing. that too. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And she's 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 taken her life in her hands on many occasions without knowing it once.
0: Yes. Yeah. So she turns up and she eats some gone off cust, rhubarb and custard. Um, with God, Frank rhubarb and her Dad, and custard. <laughs> grim.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> a bit, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, Frank, as he's out, goes out of the house again. Sees his dad um, set off for town, um, and he thinks that's weird because he doesn't know they're going to town this time. He goes back to the house and turns out it looks like his dad's had a call from Eric because the phone's off the hook and there's half a bottle of whiskey missing. So he's like, <laughs> it's like dad's had a phone call, got absolutely smashed and then driven into town.
1: It's, so. I mean, that bit, bloody hell. Like, it wasn't entirely clear to me what the flow of time was in that little piece of plot, but you, yeah. it does conjure the image, doesn't it? It's dad receiving a phone call and it's Eric and he just very, you know, puts the phone back on the side turns to his left, opens up the drink cabinet and just necks half a bottle of Jim Beam or something. Yeah. like, oh, all right. Like that that seems to be a slight overreaction. But as we will see, this is neither the first nor the last time in this book where Frank's dad, as a character, does something which is really weird for not at all apparent <laughs> reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Franklin gets Frank Frank's then waiting in the attic. He's basically um staking out. He's, he's got his position up at the top of the attic, um, little chair by the window, looking out over the island, and he's waiting there for um for Eric to arrive. Um he gets his phone call from his dad, really drunken phone call, saying, Oh, come into town, meet me at the library, Frank. So um Yeah,
1: I I love I love that when he's drunk he can't pronounce the letter K.
0: Yeah. Frank! 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 <laughs> <laughs> so he he sets off to the um to town but then sees that the phone lines are cut um, and therefore right. he start, and therefore realises that his dad's trying to lure him away I'm not 100% sure how that works but maybe I, maybe I missed a, an important point, what happened there? Well, no I wasn't clear on that either, it was a great creepy piece of writing,
1: it's one of those fantastic you know the call was coming from inside the building <laughs> kind of things but yeah I mean so his dad must have, so the only rationale for it is that his dad must have known that Eric was going to the island and called Frank to try and get him off the island, but then Eric cut the telephone wires, but then they would meet, wouldn't they? Because, mm. so you wouldn't save him from anything there. Like, if he's already cut the telephone wires and your call's the last thing that got through, then,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Like, I I don't know, like, it was, it felt, it was a bit of a squib, this, it was a bit of a bit of a moment where I was like, oh, oh, is it?
0: Yeah, okay, Am cool. I
1: writing, uh, yeah, no, I, so it
0: lost me as well. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was that, but then I thought maybe I just haven't read it properly, yeah, okay, so. Um, <laughs> no, so no, 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 Matt, I think at this point this is just surprisingly
1: slack <laughs> uh, plotting from Ian Banks.
0: Because <laughs> I'll be honest, I wasn't sort of you know, edging my seat reading this sort of pouring over every word by this stage. So there's a, cha- there's a chance that I haven't, just haven't got that, but I'm not going back reading it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is actually in that aspect, it reminds me very much of another Ian Banks book called Complicity, which yeah. is a far more conventional narrative, but he's just as nasty and unpleasant, if not more so actually. Mm. Um, uh, but I, this, I do the same when I read that. I've reread that a couple of times and I just skip the bits that I know are going to be awful and they are many. <laughs> <And> <laughs> just like, Nope, nope, nope. Not reading this. Nope.
0: Uh, so darkness comes to the island. Uh, Frank's dad returns blind drunk, um, falls asleep on the sofa and now Frank seizes his chance. He steals his dad's keys, <clears throat> runs up to the study and opens uh. the door. This, this room he's not been able to get in for for, for Gasp! years. Yeah, um, and he sees there's this jar with what appears to be his genitals in. And he has this little moment where he cries. Which is a little, little sort of, I suppose, a, 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 an interesting beat in his uh, character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, opens his cupboard and finds a load of tampons and hormones. And he pieces this together and thinks, hang on a minute. Agnes. Angus. <gasps> Dad's a woman. So, so he runs downstairs to confront his dad Pulls down his dad's trousers And finds out that actually he's in fact A guy um, And just just as, he's, <laughs> yep, just as he's trying to piece this together There's all these screams He looks outside and there are basically Loads of sheep running around on fire Which oh, is sort of Were this a cartoon Maybe <laughs>
1: But it's funny like, you should say that, because yeah. I was about to say that this is a bit pantomime, isn't it? He's a woman. No, he's a man. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. Oh, look, there's a sheep that's on fire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does all go a bit sort of crazy circus act, doesn't it? Um,
1: it, it, it does. This would make a fantastic animated film, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> like, you'd need to do it in that sort of Danger Mouse, Cosgrove Hall kind of like... <laughs> Extremely cartoonish violence
0: thing. Yeah, sort of like a, a South Park sort of violent um, like cartoon. Yeah, sort of
1: that's it, isn't it? <laughs> South Park bigger, longer, uncut, and with even fewer moral boundaries.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the all these sheep are in around on fire and um, and he sees Eric sort of striding through the fiery sheep. <laughs> like
1: Denzel Washington in Man on Fire <laughs> like, with extra sheep.
0: Yeah. Or like some kind of amazing like metal video for a for a uh, Oh that's song. what it
1: is, isn't it? <laughs> that's increased the nightmare circus. That's what it is, Matt.
0: It's the nightmare <laughs> circus all over again. <laughs> so um so he runs downstairs, um, and Eric is is trying to hack his way into the cellar um, using an axe obviously he wants to run down there and, and blow the place sky high we assume and yeah. here comes the confrontation that isn't really a confrontation so so Frank has his catapult holds it like ready to shoot and Eric turns around and Frank like shakes his head like don't do it don't go into this cellar and Eric like Eric just sort of looks at him and then runs at him and then runs away <coughs> Yeah, is that, that that is it, isn't it? That is all that, that is it. To it. That
1: is it, Matt. Not one for the top five hundred action sequences of twentieth-century English literature. It has to be said, and this has been building. By the way, this scene has been building since the start of the book. Yeah. Insofar as this book has a structure, it is this: the, we live on top of a bomb, and this kid is coming back, and he's mad and like setting things on fire. There is a plot proposition. Yeah. I don't care if you undermine that. I don't care if you, if you you know decide to set up Chekhov's house that's also a bomb and then not blow it up. If you want to subvert my expectations, that's fine. But you have to do it in a different way than him being like, I'm going to shoot you, and him going, I'm going to kill you, and then him going, oh, I won't then. Yeah. It's like, sweet, see you later. That, like, ha, lol, JK, is basically the entire, you could summarize the entire <laughs> impact of this plot to this point. Yeah. with that and it's oh why why have you done it like it's it's. I mean I mean honestly can you think of the? can you think of an angle on it that makes it make sense of what's gone before or makes it makes it like of a piece with what we've seen to this point uh, is I mean, it the relationship between the two of them is it that Frank shakes his head and Eric's still sane enough to give a shit about his opinion
0: or what I I, I really can't I think you've got to really reach for it I, I, all I got from it was just thought oh, God, this is so lazy it's sort of, it really, yeah. did, it, this is this is the moment where I really did really feel like I could see the strings here where I was thinking, I, I'd already, I would already have that thought where I'm thinking it's just a series of like, just, oh, this is a really like grim, disgusting thing. Let's put it down on the page. And this felt yeah. like, yeah, he really doesn't care about the sort of characters or the plot because it's come to the point where, it almost felt like he's right. And it gets to the point where it's like, I know they've both met, I've got to write like some big encounter here or there's got to be some discussion that isn't just some blind nonsense and Oh, you know what? I really can't be arsed. He just he just runs away. <laughs> do, yeah, you
1: know. and actually, this is not unheard of in Ian Banks's oeuvre. It surprises me to hit to find it here in this first novel. In the novel, that was sort of breakout success and made his career as a novelist. Hmm. But there are there are other novels of his. Some novels of his are masterpieces of plot and setting and characterization and every great fantastic stuff. But then there are other novels where you can almost hear him phoning it in hmm. and and they're actually it is said or he said himself that he um he used to write is it start he would start writing a novel on the 1st of September and he'd get it finished on Christmas Eve just in time to help set it up
0: <laughs>
1: and and that was it and that was his and you can and in this one you can almost hear him doing the same thing where he's like what's it going to be uh, he runs away that'll do i don't want to talk <laughs> about that i don't care this 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 thing is served its purpose this subplot that turns out not to be a subplot has served its purpose fuck it
0: yeah yeah it feels to me like um like you're approaching an interesting like haunted house or something and You open the door and it turns out it's just sort of a board with nothing behind it. You're like, oh, all right. (laughs) No, no.
1: What it is, is approaching an interesting haunted house and then you walk in and somebody turns the lights on and goes, sorry about that. We've just been cleaning up all these cobwebs. No idea where they came from. Anyway, have a seat. Here's a tinny. Football's on the telly. Uh, No, and definitely no ghosts. Actually, we've had it checked out and this is the least haunted house in the history of eldritch phenomena. So... No worries, mate. Carry on. Do you want a sandwich? Yeah. That's what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the kind of. It, it, it's like that. This, this. It's like a, like a dreadful series finale. Do you know like sort of? It's been building and building for episodes, and then it's like, and here's the finale, and it's shit. Um, <laughs> wow, great. Uh-uh. What a waste of time. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, that didn't didn't go down well with. I, I felt it. I thought it was lazy and just. Yeah, just throw away, and I felt also, a little bit betrayed by you know why that I why have you even built this up if if that's all that's going to happen? It's kind of wondering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. Now, can I? i tell you a thing that just occurred to me. A comparison which is in no sense appropriate, or is in, and it certainly is in no sense respectful. But are you familiar with the film Men in Black Two?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: you may remember that the end sequence of that is curiously half baked and uninspiring. Right. And that's because they shot an entire end sequence that was terribly dramatic and involved a lot of explosions. But unfortunately, they filmed it in July 2001 and the finale was set on top of the Twin Towers in New York. So when they released it, they had to edit out every shot of the Twin Towers, which means it's basically the finale of that movie is Will Smith runs into a room where Rosario Dawson's going, what am I going to do? And he goes, fire it at that thing off screen. And she goes, whoa. And then it's over. And that's it. And this is what this is. this, This scene... Is the only place in Ian Banks' entire oeuvre where it's appropriate to draw a comparison with a substandard Barry Sonnenfeld film? And that's <laughs> it. That's where we are at this point.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the same thing with I think I mean Spider-Man Two was was also filmed at a set of, like around that time, and that was going to be I think the, the 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 sort of the final scene was going to be some kind of battle scene where he's uh, Spider-Man's like going up between the twin towers. that would have been great and and they yeah but obviously they obviously had to cut that and and I think they replaced it with sort of um, everyone in New York comes together to help each other and win the day that way and it's like oh this is a bit on the nose yeah, it,
1: it, yeah it, was Spider, it was Spider-Man It was 1 I remember it was Spider-Man 1 because there's a scene in that where somebody like the, it's the Green Goblin to throw something at him and yeah. then somebody throws a rock back and goes you throw something at one of us you throw it at all of us yeah, yeah, and I'm it. like Fair enough oh. you you are processing a grand trauma at this point, and yeah. you know like like fair play, yeah, but you're right, it was a bit on the nose, like I feel like there were more subtle ways of doing that, but,
0: but it, well. it's one of those things, I think it's very British to think that's like uh like really it right. is, isn't it oh, oh we you feel awkward but it really makes yeah, it, yeah it's like, oh, okay, we're horrible people, this is true, yeah, I oh, know yeah, okay, um I mean, yeah, I mean, just just look at this guy frank he's uh he's one of us, apparently, turns out. Um, yeah, so, uh, what were we up to? Oh, yeah, the the ending to end all endings. So he, <laughs> so, so Frank sort of trudges back into the house, Um, his dad's sit- not for nothing, Frank called back into the house five minutes ago, shouting, Dad, get out of the house, it's about to blow. Um, He returns to the house to find his dad sitting at the kitchen table with the jar, Saying, we need to talk, sir. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, dad, but I
1: think you may have dramatically underestimated the level of peril that's currently at hand. There are still burning sheep running around outside without much regard for where they go, and there is still a battleship's worth of gunpowder directly under your seat. Do you want to perhaps go
0: for a bit of a walk?
1: Yeah. You know, clear your head, get a bit of fresh air, and crucially, no longer be sitting on top of a gun. Yeah. A bomb, even.
0: Yeah. Jeez. Frank could have said all that. What Frank does that's, in, in fact says is yeah, let's talk. And he, like sits down and they have a talk. Um so <laughs> the sheep just deal with it. I don't know what they do. Maybe they find a lake and just jump in that or something, but that that's fine. Um and we find out about the spe- so, so the the specimen jar is like has been opened and what Frank thought with his genitalia are just these little like um plasticine pieces unbelievable um, which yeah which goes to chapter 12 what happened to me so Ugh. it <laughs> plasticine
1: <laughs> sorry sorry no we'll get there we'll get there
0: okay so uh, <laughs> let me just work out with the hand oh it starts with a memory um of two of frank seeing two horses in a field and one horse is led away and the other horse is upset can you uh, can can you see the parallels here? Can you see the subtext, Dave?
1: Um, I think can we call it a subtext at this point? Is it, I feel like it's been drawn out and hammered out in, in you know it's not so much a subtext as it is a billboard at this point. I think.
0: Yeah, um, for those who haven't been paying attention, and crikey, you'd have to try hard not to have make, got this, but. Perhaps the two horses represent Frank and Eric, and Eric uh, was taken away, and Frank uh, got a bit upset about it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure there's any more to it than that. Like, like I say, I think I, yeah, think, I, I, th- I think Christmas is around right the corner, and he's just getting this finished now. <laughs> yeah, it
1: is, isn't it? It's like, I mean, I'm, f- I'm a big fan of parallels, big fan of metaphorical events, you know, ooh, the power of, the power of fiction and so on, but yeah. Why? <laughs> I mean are you telling me something why What? you have to use it to shed light on something that you've been trying to say and in so far as he's been saying anything I think he's been saying well he's, he's been saying one of two things he's either been saying that to that masculinity is fundamentally insane and violent and I hope that's not what he's saying um, or he's been saying that um Misogyny is a fundamentally destructive impulse
0: hmm.
1: At which point True and more power to you But I, I know um, How having a little diorama Involving horses involved Does anything <laughs> at all Horses Yeah those, those famous metaphorical Representatives Of You know <laughs> Stuff <laughs> Profundity yeah. It's like, actually, I'll tell you what this is like. This is like um, Michael Clayton. The movie Michael Clayton, which has a whole sequence involving horses which are imbued with philosoph- with uh, with metaphorical significance, which just completely passes me by. I haven't got a clue. You know, I'm, I'm as up for a metaphor as the next bloke, but I'm like, <coughs> yeah. and do horses mean something in literature that I'm just not aware of? It's just like tarot cards <laughs> yeah. where the symbols have a meaning. Whoa.
0: It really feels like that. It's like, and I remember there were two horses and one was, was taken away and, and feelings. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what it
1: is, Matt. It's fucking Quaith, isn't it? Oh, God, From oh. uh, Song of Ice and Fire. She'll just turn up once every 50 <laughs> chapters or so and go, woo, dragons, woo, <laughs> go to go south, <laughs> woo, clouds, gnomic statement.
0: I'm yeah. off. See you later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it could have, or, or maybe one of the horrors from uh, One Day at Harlan just trudging in. <laughs> I've got
1: something terribly important <laughs> to say
0: now. It's to do with horses. Uh, any, any more questions? <laughs> no? <laughs> Such is our love for the uh, the horrors in One Day at Horrorland in the Goosebumps. Poor underappreciated um, bastards. Yeah, they, they may turn up again and again as we do as we continue doing different books because they were so funny. If you haven't listened to it, go and listen to the Goosebumps um, Halloween Spooky Special that we did because we had a absolute scream doing that. Um, hey, hey! Oh yeah, yeah! In happier times. <laughs> Anyway, back with the wasp factory. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Frank finds Eric asleep, like in a field, and sort of holds his hand, which um, is 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 touching. I'm sure in some ways. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it turns out Frank is in fact Francis Leslie Coldham. Oh. Um, it's not his dad. That's a woman. It's him uh, yep. or her. Um, yeah. So dad's been giving her hormones uh since a small child so so she was actually mauled by this dog but um obviously it didn't rip it didn't rip a dick off because she didn't have one sorry if this is crass but i mean I'm well just, there's I'm, no I'm, way no, no but there's I'm no way out. of talking about it i think i'm about out <laughs> 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 the wells i've got dry. ian
1: banks has literally <laughs> beaten the civility out
0: of you um Thoughts, so so her thoughts on that feels foolish, um, because she didn't need to do all these revenge things, like with the soul and stuff, it, and yeah, um, feels a bit bad now because oh yeah, I hate women and I'm a woman, um, ooh. Ooh, um yeah. and that says something, I assume. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Do you, do you want to have, you want to have a tilt tilted it? What, what what's he saying here?
1: Um, well <laughs> like I say, I think he's either saying that I think he could be saying something great, which is that misunderstood masculinity or like malformed masculinity, which considers itself to be about violence, yeah. is is a grotesquely destructive force even in a state of apparent innocence where you've spent your entire life basically not interacting with society hmm. right however that is a very powerful point about patriarchy and about the fact that it, it malforms men and women that it's not that feminism is, is a force that's supposed to be transformative for the experience of all genders not only women um because um but it, that's that's the that's the, the the place in which the message is heard most strongly um that uh, you know violence is no solution to anything and um, and domination is always grotesque mm. could be powerful that could be here if it weren 't for the fact that he 'd left so many pieces of the scaffolding just completely unexamined mm. like he 's taken the opportunity to talk about how Eric was dressed up as a girl and then taken away and then went nuts and it 's not clear that those things relate to one another but But fair enough. Like he's made a character arc that's constructed out of that. But he's Mm. he's he's used that basically as a way of, like you say, just doing a a scene that is horrifying but not at all illuminating. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything that goes on in the plot. And as we see, it leads to the grand anticlimax of what we should call Nodgate, which is you're (laughs) going to attack. (laughs) Yeah, no, all right, Nodgate. That's what we're calling it. (laughs) Nodgate. Um. And so he's just used it to build it to that. So Eric thematically is just like, well, I don't really get what you're trying to say about gender there. Right, right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but the big one is he's not examined at all why Frank's dad has done this. Like the only thing he says is it was supposed to be an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I get that like some people, you know, I mean, and again, like I suffer a bit from not being in the right generation here because I mean, mm. back in the 80s, this was, almost contemporary you know that sort of yeah hey man like everything's different change everything hold everything up to question you know like everything can be redefined idea which was this super 1960s and 1970s idea the shorthand for which is the idea of this kind of hippie hippie lifestyle that seems to be represented by Frank's dad and Frank's mum yeah Um. like the it was far more contemporary whereas to me this feels like a totally insane piece of social it's, if if this is a realistic in in any sense even an overblown you know contrast turned up version of what some people believed and did, mm. if if that is the case, I still think a a good account of it wouldn't just leave it there as a sort of black box in the plot that says well they were here yeah. so of course they wanted to question the idea of gender. I'm like. God, great, but what the hell are you doing writing a plot that's about this and then not interrogating that even slightly, like mm. not even inter- not even interrogating where he gets his idea of masculinity from, the fact that it's so closely related to violence, not not examining why somebody would want to raise their child as a different gender to work out what gender is about, that's fascinating actually like mm. the roots and origins of gender and what it does in, in someone's personhood and, and what a misunderstanding of gender does to somebody, that's fascinating write a book about that or you could write a book about you know you know my seven darkest nightmares by ian banks age 16 yeah and like and so i actually found that really frustrating in the end because i didn't know why and it felt Mm. like an enormous missed opportunity Yeah. even if you're not going to explain it all at length explore it explore where this gender idea comes from you know be Mm. sophisticated about it instead of just saying oh yeah the big twist was He's a woman, um, you know. This doesn't quite. I think this predates the Crying Game, but not by very much. Yeah. And so maybe this is a zeitgeist thing, but it left me totally cold, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I just don't think he he really cares that much about the the questions raised by it. I think it is just a sort of just. I don't think he's thought that deeply about it, if I'm honest. Um,
1: oh, that's—I I don't know—I don't know whether that's true, because I feel like he gave—he said in that, like you quoted at the start of it, like he gave an interview where he said, you know, what he wanted to do was satirise religion, which he, which he's done with a sledgehammer, in fairness, <laughs> um, but he has done—and—and mm. um, and write a book that was pro-feminist. Mm. So I feel like he was thinking on that level. I just think he—he he decided to be more grotesque. Than he was um, exploratory. I don't yeah, know. Like I, he, I, he, wanted, don't know. he wanted to shock more than he wanted to understand.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's just sort of a bit of like retrofitting a theme to it as well. Just like he's yeah. written it, it's like, and then it, it goes out, and then one a couple of critics say, and of course it says this about feminism, and then he says, "Of course, I was writing it to be about feminism." <laughs> I
1: yeah, I mean, it could be, couldn't it? And I think it would be interesting to see kind of what the response was to it at the time, because all the quotes mm. on the cover are all "this is really good and really horrible" at the same time. Yeah, and I don't. Sorry, Karen.
0: No, I was just going to say his, his final bit. He's he like Frank thinks about we all have our own factory and fate. And, um, you know, sometimes things happen to us and sometimes the doors open and we can go back and sometimes we can't. And again, I just wanted to say that felt a little bit, it felt like the sort of, it's 3am, yeah. the three the three coffees are down, you've got the assignment due date <laughs> coming up, like, you've got to hand it in in three hours time, you've just got to find some way of finishing this. <laughs> you just write Push a little it bit of nonsense. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's some kind of conclusion. I do like the final line. Yeah, uh, poor Eric returns to see his brother to find he's got a sister. That was a nice little way to to bookend it all. Um, yeah, I I, yeah. I
1: agree with that. Yeah, but and I think yeah, and that whole like you say the kind of oh uh, we're all in the wasp factory, aren't we? Um, is <laughs> like you you could do yeah. something really interesting with that, but if you haven't written a book that's about fate up to this point. And it's not, I'm sorry, like like the stuff that you've done in the last chapter, that's about fate and decision and choice. Mm. Right? But actually if you wanna make if you want all of his actions in the first part of the book to be a reflection upon that idea, what you need to do is make allow there to be some consequence for all of this killing. That's what you need to do. Is like the door closes behind you, and you've already made these decisions, and something has happened as a result of them. But it hasn't. He's not the way. His actions aren't the aren't what's happened to Eric. They're not what sent him mad. His actions haven't done anything to his dad, apart from giving the mother and father of all hangovers. And he just ends up on the side of a hill, looking at looking at horses running around. You know, not really mentioning the only thing in the plot that could reflect on that which is the fact that three people have lost their lives mm. but so what actually what you at the very least what you need is a scene where he's like yeah so that didn't need to happen and he needs to experience some kind of reflection on that or guilt for that or mm. he needs to reflect upon what he's taken as a result of the lie he's believed
0: mm.
1: Um And also, you need to talk to his fucking dad about it. You need at least a scene. Because it's not like he leaves the island and he never gets a chance for closure and that's what it's about. His dad's still downstairs sleeping off a hangover. Go and wake the fucking bastard up and ask him why he did this to you. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, do something with it. It's just a big bundle of missed opportunities. It could be a great book about fate, but it's not. And it could be a great book about consequence, but that's the one thing it's definitely not about. There are no consequences.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like the the charts, which we aren't party to, um, but w- has gone down the lines of, so you're a girl, I gave you hormones, and um, you know that's this is the truth, and and frankness goes, right, right then, yeah, see you, later. Yeah. see you later then, <laughs> yeah, cheers, dad, yeah, I mean questionable decision
1: making there, but fundamentally. Uh, I'm a character in a novel, and the publication deadline's coming up. So, Except it's not, because this was his first novel. This was he sent in, you know, unsolicited. This mm. was the one. He didn't have to get finished for Christmas Day, and this ending actually feels a bit like he
0: did. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's what we think of it. Shall we, um, shall we get a few reviews? Ooh, I've got quite oh, a few of these, Bob. Oh, quite a my few word. Yeah.
1: I ca- I'm genuinely intrigued as to see how this, this has gone down on te- entire webs. Yeah, I, 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 will, really I,
0: will say, I will say this for it. It does provoke reaction, this book, doesn't it? Um, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, Jeez, yeah. So, um, Al- Algerman um, gave it four stars, and I quite like this. I think if you if this had been the blurb on the back, we wouldn't have read it. Um, Because you would have just, you would have laid the smack down straight away. How about about this for a concept, Dave? What if Holden Caulfield was born on a remote Scottish island into a (laughs) Christian family with a former anarchist for a father and a flower power mother who ran away too soon after he was born? So, yeah, Frankie's Holden Caulfield reborn from The Catcher in the Rye. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, actually, I was going to mention that with his name, (laughs) Coldheim. Yeah. Holden Holden Caulfield. Um uh yeah. It's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, I, um, like, yeah. I and I probably would have spiked it on the strength.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean you you hated that book and you hated the character. I actually quite liked Holden Caulfield, but um I didn't like Frank. So. Yeah, I tell you what I would characters. like to do
1: now is reread the Catcher in the Rye because I, I honestly believe at least three of the characters in that book to be taken from the early life of Donald Trump. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going back and reading it again. So that's just my.
0: <laughs> is it, are you thinking of the Strad by any chance? I am, but I
1: also think Caulfield himself yeah, yeah. is hilariously self-involved, mm. and he also terrific. I'm not going to do it. This is not about the book we're reading right now. I could I could go on for a long time about the way Holden Caulfield
0: talks and how much it's like Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Manny gave The Wasp Factory 4 stars. Um and he said Recommended for Scots teens with mutilated genitals who ingeniously torture animals and commit untraceable murders. I admit it's a narrow demographic, but if this is you, then I promise you're going to love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I give that review four stars right there. That's fantastic. Uh,
0: Fabian gave it four stars. This is quite a nice summary. He says, A nifty freak show with significantly horrific tableau to remain with you an eternity. I mean, it does stay well, that, with you.
1: It does stay with you. I'm hoping it's not quite eternal, but that's again, again, poetically written. You know, you see, you see the influence of uh, Ian Banks all over the shop here, don't you?
0: Yeah, uh, a few five star reviews. Kerry gave it five stars. I'm, I'm not sure Kerry was reading the same book as me, but this is what she says. <laughs> I, I thought this. It book, was hilarious. <laughs> I. Th- I thought this book was wonderful and it's definitely in my top ten favourites. A story about mental illness and how it affects the family. The main character and narrator Frank is very likable despite his strange tendencies. It's written in a lovely style that strange? makes it a- strange. <laughs> it's written in a lovely style that makes it a pleasure to read. It's a story about childhood, family, nurture versus nature, secrets, being different and thriving despite it all. <laughs> Fucking heavy
1: duck. Now, not, I don't believe any of that is untrue, but I think, like, she's kind of... The the whole does not accurately reflect the sum of those parts. <laughs> um, you know, because there's a lot more children without skulls having ants nesting their brains and so on than uh, than than that would seem to imply. i tell you what's interesting, though, is that that is almost a copy-and-paste version of a, of a review of at least two other Ian Banks novels that I think are better than this. Mm. Um one called the Crow Road, which I think is an absolute masterpiece, um, which is a, a, about exactly that, uh, exactly what she lists there, and does it in a far more humane and meaningful way that makes a lot more sense. Mm. Um, so I don't think she's on. I don't think she's inaccurate there, but that is a bit like looking at the Eiffel Tower and going, "Well, you know, this is about paint." Mm. It's like paint is involved. There's a lot of it there, but I'm not certain that that is what the whole thing adds up to. You don't look at it and go, "Good heavens, that's fantastic!" Good painting there, Eiffel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. you know. Uh, Serena gave it five stars, and um, I think she's a good representation of sort of the the, the section of, uh, of of audience of readership that um, that sort of is unashamedly. You know, I'm I'm here for the gore. I'm here for the shocks. I'm here for the sort of. How, dis- how disgusting can you make how- can you make my skin crawl? And you know um, I you know, th- that's why I'm, that's why I'm, I'm reading the book. She says the book where pooping is described with such gusto is my kind of book. Also chopped, <laughs> Also chopped off animal heads, dogs on fire, child murders, genitalia mutilation, grotesque insect torture, and maggots in places you don't ever want to see maggots. It made my skin crawl. Not an easy feat. Excellent. So yeah, basically that's what
1: you're looking for. That's what you're gonna get.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's sort of, uh, like like I say, it's kind of a, uh, it's almost like the the horror reader trope, that isn't it as well. I'm here for the disgusting yeah. stuff. You've given me the disgusting yeah. stuff. Brilliant. I love the disgusting stuff. Um, I just it's I just that that isn't sort of I I I quite like reading good what I think is good horror, and that, and that isn't really what it is. Uh, by yeah. Um, Alicia gave it five stars this book was a revelation a journey into the mind of a true sociopath but done with such skill that it's hilariously funny as well at least it was to me I loved it all the messy bits of it and the crazy parts and the sad pieces truly a work of art so a big fan Alicia
1: I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad Alicia enjoyed that I, I would say for me I, did, I never laughed aloud <laughs> this, I, there is dark humour in it and great irony but funny isn't one of the first ten words I'd reach for to describe the book, to be honest. Mm.
0: Yeah. Shall we um, delve into some one-stars? So, um, Brian. Brian gave it one star. Uh, He got a little confused in himself as he did it, though, as he did the review. (laughs) Did he mean to give it five? (laughs) Brian says, Don't read this book. It's boring, horrible, and ponderous. A pal of yours will probably recommend it. You probably trust this pal. He'll expertly lure you using shared (laughs) history, telling you that you'll love it, but you won't. Let me give you a spoiler to ensure that you don't read it. The main character is a chick who thinks she's a dude and hates all things feminine. That's the big unravelling that happens at the end of the book. Uh, Masculinity was a sick experiment done by a twisted dad. Anyway, this is just my opinion. You might like it. What a prick. (laughs) <laughs> honestly who
1: writes that in a review of a book like this where everything revolves around the twist <laughs> yeah what, what a, a d- wanker <laughs> yeah jeez, yeah brian honestly yeah brian <laughs> Honest. Although, like, so, but that seems to me that's fairly clearly that one of his mates has tried to talk him into reading it and he's read Mm -hmm. it and he's so angry that he's just indiscriminately trolling everybody who might one day encounter the book and like it just Mm -hmm. to wreck his mate. Just to be like, (laughs) yeah, well, I've taken out several of your tribe. (laughs) Yeah, book loving wanker.
0: (laughs) Uh, Saffron gave it one star. And she said, this was recommended to me by a colleague at work. I assume they're not speaking anymore. I'm now going to look at at him in a very different way. I really can't understand how anyone can enjoy this tale of animal cruelty, abuse and murder. Maybe I'm just too soft for this kind of grit. I do think that it's interesting. Um, Quite a lot of people who either love it or hate it seem seem to do so from a perspective of what it says about me as a reader. So yeah. some people who love it say, you know, I love it because it sh- um because it says that I can I can read stuff like this and not be affected by it. And then there yeah. are other people who say I hate it and it's because um I can't understand how anyone could read something like this and not be as sensitive as I am about it. And I think a lot of these reviews are sort of wrapped a little bit self involved, I think both I'd say saffron and who was it earlier on? Um, Alicia who who loved it for not Alicia the one who loved it for Serena for how disgusting it was I kind of think these reviews are more about advertising who they are rather than what the book is about
1: that's very interesting and I think you're on at something there well and I think that's I mean that's because that's how we're encouraged to consume anything in terms of mass media these days yeah yeah as a statement about who we are and so yeah, jeez, I feel for the guy who might have just might have just had a, a slightly a slight interesting kind of well-written Scottish literature and he's got somebody at work now going you know because the first time that anything anything even like he drops his coffee cup she'll be like he's trying to kill you with that. Yeah. Trying to trying to scold your skin off a read a book. Told me to read this book. It's fucking sick. He's yeah. wrong in the head that one. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, um, we'll, we'll,
0: we'll yeah. be tired for that guy if, if a kid goes missing somewhere near oh, him because yeah, Saffron's geez. making an anonymous call to the police. <laughs> He's she- definitely <laughs> ready for that. He read a book, it was sick.
1: What do you mean that's not admissible as evidence?
0: <laughs> it's open and closed. <laughs> Throw away the key. Okay, um, Helen gave it one star. Um, <laughs> Helen said. I'm English and as such crave disappointment which is probably why I persisted with finishing this book
1: that's hilarious she's nicked that line from Bill Bailey but it's applied with absolute perfection
0: Uh, Maggie gave it one star um she says, "Frankly, I was left. Say- frankly, frankly, I was left saying out loud. Hey. Yeah, I think she meant meant that. Frankly, I was left saying out loud. Who the fuck cares, dude? I live near San Francisco. Everyone here has gender issues. Big freaking deal. All that garbage is such for such an insignificant and pointless payout. I think that's quite an interesting review in the context of what you said about when the book yeah. was written and that it was a much bigger deal this um, in the '80s." Um, Yeah, and I suppose yeah, yeah, present day San Francisco is 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 as far removed from that as you can get. But I don't think that's Ian Max's fault.
1: No, it's not his fault. But isn't it interesting that you're that because he's been so adept at making you feel disgust up to this point, you know, across the whole book, he doesn't come across as somebody who really needs or deserves or wants the benefit of your doubt. So with another book that had been less affronting, you might have ended up being like, "Oh, okay, you know, fair enough." But I see what he's trying to do, and I'm kind of willing to enter into because it's so it it wants to be so violently shocking and violently contemporary as well. Mm. Um, He just doesn't get any extra rolls of the dice, and it ages. I think it ages quite badly as a result. Mm. Like I can definitely see how way back in the in the early '80s, this would have been a plot line where you were like, "Kind of, oh, that's shocking." Like, mm. there are weaknesses in it, but good heavens, that's appropriate to the moment. You know, like, it's very zeitgeisty. Mm. Whereas now, that zeitgeist has been and gone and gone through nine different revolutions, and so you're just like, and? Mm. And that was very much my response to it. So I, I, I understand completely where she's coming from. There. I, I didn't hate it nearly that much. I think there's all sorts of things about it that were terribly impressive. Yeah. But but that critique is absolutely bang on the money. And, mm. and it actually, because he's... You know it's the fact that he 's written in such a, a difficult to read way that means he's got no one to blame for himself mm. no, no one to blame but himself for the fact that these days people come to it and are just like oh right well yeah you're not, I'm not giving you any more slack here to be honest yeah um,
0: yeah yeah um and the, the final review i've got for for this is from uh, Hanag who um didn't leave a star it was abandoned was the um so you're not going to starrate <sighs> him um And she says, Grotesque, sick and twisted. I did not enjoy this book at all. I had been expecting horror and macabre after hearing various reviews and recommendations. But instead of being entertained by the gruesome content, I was purely disgusted that anyone could find this a pleasurable read. I couldn't get much further than half the halfway mark after being particularly horrified by a disturbing incident involving an old war bomb, which we we know about. Um, yeah well and that's
1: at the shallow point of the curve as well it's Like, probably if that wasn't for you you yeah. checked out at the right point
0: yeah but I just thought that was quite good because I think that's the one of the real strengths of the book and why I think why it's so successful is that it's ability to shock and um, yeah. and promote that sort of visceral reaction in people and I think that's yeah. why it's endured so much is that um, for, for better or worse it, it's quite possibly unlike very much else you could ever read um yep. and you know that may or may not be a good thing but um it's certainly sort of i think it's quite a, a for, for for the for, for the putting aside the fact that personally i didn't really enjoy it i do see it as quite an interesting and, and worthwhile addition to sort of literature that's just something so yeah. shocking um yeah. and um and so unashamably like disgusting can, um, yeah. can 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 exist. I suppose that's a, you know, it it, it all adds to the to, to the wonderful color palette that is uh, that is literature.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I I would agree with that. I think that is a very good way of putting it. And um, like you know, like I say, I don't disagree with the the criticisms that have been levelled at it, and I do think it's aged poorly. But isn't it interesting that the thing which has made it age poorly in in so far as it's you know, it's now no longer quite such a shocking um, denouement, Um, and that you're not willing to go with him because he's shocked you to this point and he just doesn't get any slack from you at all, Mm. is actually also the thing that gives it what enduring, what power it does have that does endure. Mm. Because then you're like, well, uh, you know, I'm definitely not going to forget it. And... It's definitely not derivative of anything else. Mm. And it's interesting with Ian Banks, I think this is true across most of his books, is that it's not, you're not watching magic being done. What he does with language and plot and character and so on is not. I don't understand how he did that. There are other authors where you look at what they've written and you're like, I don't understand how this is emerging from these words. Mm. But it's magic. This isn't that. You can see the strings, but they are very, very original strings. Mm. And I think that is the great strength, and that's what makes it endure. Even though, plot-wise, the end of it is, you know, the sound of a balloon bursting quietly. (laughs) It's, (laughs) you know, it just... It ends up in a place that's not in the slightest bit satisfying, mm. um, but but the way it gets there is definitely not something you're going to forget.
0: Well, that's a nice way to round it up, I think. So that is our review of uh, The Wasp Factory uh, by Ian Banks. Uh, next week we'll be uh, we'll be doing our Christmas special. So I think we'll do another Charles Dickens book. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't imagine there'd be quite as much, um, you know. Of Ian Banks' wasp factory <laughs> material lurking in that, but we shall see. Um and if you want to get in touch with your own um thanks for people that have sent the reviews in. If you want to send any in yourself, it's uh at gmo.com. That's sharkliveroal podcast at gmo.com. We're also on Twitter at sharkliveroyal Uh but until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Have fun. I will. Be safe. Don't, don't, don't go killing any animals or children. Alright. <laughs> Bye-bye.